Turn in your Bible to John chapter 3. I'm continuing through this book. I'm loving studying it. I, I just love God's Word. I love studying in a, in a pattern, in a way, but also I just love the message God has for us. You know, uh, one thing I would have to say, something happened this year at the SBC conference in, in uh, New Orleans that was a first. As a matter of fact, my understanding is that the Southern Baptists were the first to have a statement about artificial intelligence in churches. I couldn't help it. There's a lot of artificial intelligence <laughs> in churches. As a matter of fact, there might be more artificial intelligence in the world than there is real intelligence. You think about it. I mean, it's crazy. As a matter of fact, you know, we also had, no, really, Southern Baptists were the first to kind of address that because, you know, the danger is that preachers will stop digging in the Word of God and start listening to what artificial intelligence puts out. Guys, I'm serious. It's a, I know it sounds crazy because it's like, you know, those books you read in, you know, that about in, you know, in high school that talked about the future so far, like the Jetsons, you know, uh, flying cars and all that stuff. You know, we just not, never know where we're headed. But artificial intelligence, how many of you have, have done any research on it? Have you done any? I have too. And quite frankly, there are those encouraging the use of artificial intelligence in ministry. Now, also, the other thing that kind of gets your attention with that are UFOs, you know. Uh, UFOs are something that's kind of back in the, uh, recently they sighted one, supposedly, landed on the White House lawn. <laughs> and those two guys came off and said, take me to your leader. Which they did. And they rushed back to their unit, their flying unit, whatever that is, saucer, and was heard saying to one another, let's get away quick because we don't want any of that. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I'm not dissing on, on, yeah, I am a little bit. But um, <laughs> intelligence is something that we, we think is just so very important, don't we? I mean, really. We, we even have an IQ test. We measure, um, I, 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 I don't know if they measure negative numbers. I got down there close to it, I think, sometime. But... Uh, uh, intelligent quotient, IQ, and intelligent quotient. and stands for how intelligent naturally you are. Well, you know, I'm so glad we serve a God that is the real intelligent being. I'm so glad that we have someone today that is the authentic person that answers questions that we can't answer. In this passage, we're going to learn Two questions that are asked early on, and it seems harmless, really. It seems like it's not that big of a deal, but it really does turn out to be something we need to address because I really think that in today's church world, these particular questions are haunting the progress of God's cause. And there's a lot of things going on that, is, that needs to be addressed. Can we talk about those this morning? Is that okay? So if you'll look at verse 22, we'll read that verse and then we're going to have a word of prayer. Verse 22, and after these things came Jesus 
and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that after you spoke to Nicodemus and gave him that discourse and that training about the new birth, that, Father, you move into the countryside, the place that right now we, we're not even sure where this location is, but there was an important things that happened here because you and John the Baptist are at the same place at the same time. And God, I thank you that we can learn two questions today that you want to speak to us about. And Father, I pray that we'll listen carefully. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Look at, look at the passage again. I want to keep reading and read down through verse 26. Look at verse 23. And John also was baptizing, or Enon, near to Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Now, verse 24 gives us a, a, a warning that eventually we're going to read about John being cast into prison. And John is kind of placing this event so you know uh, when this is. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying, and they came unto John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Notice what happens in this passage. First of all, we see Jesus tarrying with people. Wouldn't you love to spend time with Jesus? What if Jesus were here today? What if Jesus was going to be our speaker next Sunday on the 30th? I wonder if Jesus were actually himself were to come back from heaven and be the speaker. I wonder, do you think it would change your church attendance? Do you think it would change how you approach that service? Do you think it would make a difference if Jesus actually were here? Can I say to you, he is? He said, lo, I'm, uh, he said, lo, I'm with you always, even into the end of the world. He said, I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit, who is a comforter, who comes alongside us. I want you to know, every Sunday, when we meet as a Hillcrest family, the Holy Spirit is here, and Jesus is here. So, if you were to change your attendance plan for next Sunday, because Jesus himself would be here, let me just encourage you, go ahead and make those plans right now. Because we want everybody to hear the gospel next Sunday morning. But we want you, I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for being here. I pray that you've already sensed the Holy Spirit in the worship today. I pray you've sensed the Holy Spirit in the, in the prayed, uh, praying and the prayers lifted up. I hope you've sensed the word of God even right now in this word. What happened? Jesus tarried there. What he did, he spent much time serving and ministering to people. I just love how Jesus came and he wasn't too big to reach down to those who needed him. You know, I'm not, I'm a big preacher, but I'm not a big preacher. I'm not the kind of guy that has to be out in front and in the center. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people like that. I'm so glad we have preachers that are real, aren't you? I believe Jesus could have demanded a certain position, but he didn't. As a matter of fact, all he did was he wanted to spend time with people. I'm going to tell you what, I had a pastor one time that said, people are the work of God. When you think about it, this building is not Hillcrest Baptist Church. And you know, I mean also, when you brag on the Lord being with us, 
You're not bragging on him being in this building like it, like he can be. He is, but don't be wrong. It's what we bring into the service. But you know, when you criticize, you criticize yourself. You criticize this church. You criticize these people. Listen, it's time that we understand when Jesus came, he came to tarry to serve and to minister to, not criticize and tear down. He could have gone there and said, John the Baptist, step aside. But that's not how he handled himself. He went in there humbly. He wasn't a big preacher attitude. He didn't go in and expect a certain thing. I'm telling you, I'm so glad that Jesus tarried. But I'll notice in verse 26, we find that, and they came unto John and said, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same uh, baptizes. And the last phrase, and all men come to him. Now, let me say this. There is sometimes in the church world, jealousy. There are, I've heard this called ministry envy. I heard that used at an at a, at association ministry I thought, what is ministry envy? You know, there's jealousy between churches sometimes. There's jealousy between pastors of those churches sometimes. Did you know there's jealousy among preaching of, uh, members of a church? There can be jealousy there. And the disciples of John who had followed John prior to Jesus' announcement of his public ministry, they had followed John, believing him to be a prophet, believing him to be who he declared himself to be, and they followed him. But then when Jesus came, they began to follow Jesus. Did you know that's how it's supposed to work? If you're a faithful preacher of the Word of God, and people begin following you, all you're doing is pointing to Jesus. All you're doing is say, listen, follow me, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. There's no uh, reason that John should get upset, but they're following Jesus instead of John, and John's disciples say, wait a minute, John, we've been following you all this time, and now people are starting to follow Jesus, that man that you introduced. That's the one, that, that Jesus that you introduced, they're following him. And so that leads into two questions. The two questions I think all of us need to ask. First of all, can man really be cleansed? Look in verse 25, and it says, there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. There are people today that are confused about how to be cleansed from sin. There are people today, there are whole denominations that teach and preach a false belief on salvation. Now it's getting kind of quiet here. I hope you know that that is true. There are churches who uh, that put, I'm not here to, I'm not envious or jealous with this statement. The word of God is clear. You are saved through faith by the grace of God and it is a gift of God that you're saved by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. But there are churches that add to that. They add other things. And I'm not here to 
to, to bash churches. I want you to know that what they question they ask about purification and purifying is the same question that we need to be asking ourselves today. What are we preaching about salvation and being cleansed from sin? What do you believe about salvation? What have you practiced in your life? What is it that you did? Do you remember the day, if you're saved today, that you bowed your head and your heart to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sin? How many of you remember that day? Raise your hand. Isn't that a glorious thing? Listen, that's exactly what we believe today. That's what the Bible's teaching. And in here, even as Jesus begins his ministry, even with the great John the Baptist present, there's questions about salvation, how it really happens. So I'm not surprised these hundreds and thousands of years removed from that, that moment that we still have questions and we have problems in some circles deciding what is salvation. May I say to you that Jesus is going to answer this question at the very end of the sermon. You might be here today and say, wait a minute, David, I thought I was saved. You know, I think John the Baptist's disciples are struggling with what they thought was true and what they're finding out about Jesus. Did you know we bring into this congregation our backgrounds, we bring in what we believe, and then you hear the word of God and you have to compare what is true and what you believe. You know, you may believe wrong. How many of you know that you've been wrong before in your life? Sir, don't look at your wife. Oh, she gave you permission. Okay, raise your hand then. You say, David, you're joking. I am joking. Listen, we've all been wrong, have we not? You could, but let me, one thing you don't want to be wrong about is this matter of being cleansed from sin and salvation. So the first question is, can man really be cleansed? I mean, after all, they were looking at baptism as a, an evidence of cleanse. And so they're looking at this baptism, the baptism of John, and say, wait a minute, you know, his disciples are baptizing, and you baptize. Why, 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 what's going on? And I want you to see, so the first question is, can a man really be cleansed? Number two, by the way, everybody wants to be clean. Nobody sets out in life and says, I want to be the honoriest, most sinful person ever. No one sits out that way. Now, they may eventually may rebel against what they know to be right, but, you know, all of us want to be cleansed. How, don't you want to be right with God? I mean, you're here in church this morning. Don't you want to have his blessing on your life? Don't you want to be forgiven of your sin? I believe people generally want that, but they don't know how or they won't give up what it takes to be forgiven. Whatever the case may be, there's that possibility. Number two, who really, look in verse 26, and they said, all men come to him, he said, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest, verse 26, witness, behold, the same baptized, and all men come to him. Now, we know that, uh, that um, Jesus, verse 2 of chapter 4, says, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. We know Jesus did not baptize anyone personally, but his disciples did, and he was there authenticating that baptism. Did you know, wasn't that a beautiful picture this morning of baptism? Do you know what baptism is? It's a testimony and a picture of what's happened inside your heart. You've died to yourself and you're living now under Jesus. And I'm telling you, when that happened, Jesus authenticated it there 
whenever they were baptized and he was there doing it. So he said, but who should we really follow in verse 26? Did you know everyone follows a master? Even if a person is lost today, you are following someone. I think sometimes we think, no, I'm my own man. You just think you are. You're following someone. You're following some belief system. You're following something that you think is right, something you think is okay. You're, you are following someone. Now, the, the truth is, who is worthy to be followed? In this world, there are all kinds of options. And you've got to know that only Jesus of the Bible. Now, you understand there's several Jesuses in this world. The world, the churches have created such a, a, a warped and undoctrinal and unbiblical view of who Jesus is. Did you know by the end of this sermon, you're going to understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about who Jesus is. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus loves a sinner, but he hates the sin. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine, and there's, he's saying everyone should follow Jesus. Who should we really follow? Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's exactly what our world's trying to do. We're trying to serve God and mammon, which is the world system. We want to be as much of the world as our conscience will allow. We don't want the Holy Spirit to meddle in our business. We want fire insurance from hell by making a prayer and baptism, but we don't want our lives changed enough to represent the Christ who saves us. That, you might as well say it. It is true. That's exactly what's happening in our world today. We have health and wealth preachers that are teaching just to line their own pockets. We have all kinds of mess going on in this world that's distorting the true Jesus Christ of the Bible. And I want you to understand that he said very on, you've got to decide. You're going to have to decide who you're going to follow. Romans 6, 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Your actions of obedience or disobedience declares who your master is. You can't hide it. You can't deny it. It's true. Quest, those two questions are asked. Can a man really be cleansed, and who should we follow? Those are timeless questions that are asked even today. Well, I want you to know we've got the qualified authority for those answers. Aren't you glad we have someone that will and can and has every right to answer those two questions for us this morning? You know, if we pulled someone up on stage as an expert about something, we'd want to hear from them. Well, I want you to know that we have a qualified authority. Look in verse 27. Uh, Jesus answered and said, I'm sorry, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Well, that's a man of God right there. I'm looking for men of God who will say the only authority I have is from heaven. The only reason I do what I do is because of what comes 
from heaven. Do you understand the value of having a man? That's what John said. Look at verse 28. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Verse 29 says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Look at this classic verse in verse 30. He must increase. I must decrease. I want you to see that he's making it clear that the reason Jesus is qualified to answer the question and to cleanse us and that he's qualified for us to follow is because, first of all, he's sent from heaven. Did you know Jesus was up in heaven with God the Father? And there was a day when God looked to him and said, okay, it's time, Jesus. We've planned this from the foundation of the earth, but it's time that you go down to earth and you redeem my people. He became, came as a humble baby and was, was born a man who was 100% man and 100% God. And he came from heaven. He was heaven sent authority. When God sends someone from heaven like Jesus, we should pay attention. John said, you remember, I told you in verse 28, he said, I am not the Christ. He was asked on a number of occasions by all kinds of people, Jewish leaders and his disciples themselves, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Uh, and John said, no. But you'll notice he also said in verse 29, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not the Christ, but I'm also not the bridegroom. You know, uh, weddings are interesting, are they not? I've done my share of them. Uh, can I be honest with you? I sometimes, and this is not any disrespect at all, I sometimes, when I'm referring to a scheduled event like a wedding, I sometimes struggle and I refer to it as a funeral. Now, that's not, that's not, I you know, that just, it's real awkward for me at that moment. I'm just telling you that weddings sometimes are different, okay? Uh, I love weddings. They're a joyful a moment. But you remember, how many of you guys remember having a best man in your wedding? How many of you remember having one? You know, that best man, how many of you are still in touch with your best man? Wonderful, all right? I am because they're kin to me, okay? But anyway, so um, that best man is not the groom that day. What John the Baptist is saying, listen, I'm not the groom. I'm just the one standing up there with him, and, and I'm joyful to hear his voice. When you hear the voice of the groom, when you hear the voice of that, that one that's being married, it, and when you hear the voice of Jesus Christ, does it cause you to rejoice? Does it cause you to celebrate who he is? Does it do you recognize that he is a qualified man to do what he's doing? He's qualified to be the one to answer these questions that have come up. Notice he's, Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17 says, He saith unto them, unto them, But whom say ye that I am? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which 
is in heaven. I want you to know there's no mistaking on who Jesus is, that he was sent from heaven, and it gives him authority to answer these questions in our life about salvation and about who we should follow. Jesus has the authority to talk to us about that. We want to, we want to give that kind of, kind of authority to all kinds of folks, even to Ouija boards. We want to give it to the horoscope. We want to give it to everybody else how to direct our lives. Let me tell you something. We want to give it to Oprah, for goodness sakes. We want to give it to Phil, Phil Dr. Phil. We want to give it to Dr. Laura. We want to ask them how we should live our life. I'll tell you what you ought to do. Stick your nose in the Bible. Let God talk to you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you, and he'll give you a life worth living. It's time we give Jesus the position he deserves as the authority to answer the question in our lives. And we don't need to drag on with it. Then notice his humble understanding. I love this about John the Baptist. Now you remember, John the Baptist has a pedigree that you and I don't. As far as I know, no one in here's birth prediction is recorded in Scripture. I don't think any of you were prophesied that you would exist prior to your parents' conception. I also don't think that any of us would say that when someone got around us, we, we leapt in the womb with joy. You understand, John the Baptist had a very specific job, ordained of God, had every right because of what he ate and how he dressed, what his ministry was. He had every right to be, well, wait a minute. I'm special. Well, if I hear that again, I've heard people, adults, well, I'm special. Yeah. Well, go back to that intelligence thing. You're real special. I'm simply saying to you, listen to me. John the Baptist had every reason to be proud of what God had made him to become. He was different. People were coming to him. He was baptizing people. He didn't serve in Jerusalem. He served outside, out by a creek somewhere. But people were leaving Jerusalem to come hear him preach and to hear him, uh, to watch him baptize. He had every right to be proud. But you know what he says in verse 30? He must increase. I must decrease. I love it in humility in ministry. That's a lost, almost a lost trait in ministry. And if you don't believe it, hang out with a bunch of preachers for a while. And I'm not preachers, I love preachers. But you talk to preachers, they'll brag on all that they've done, what they're doing, and all they're going to do. And they almost forget God in those statements. John the Baptist never forgot what his purpose was, who he was, and who Jesus was. And if you really will look at who you really are, what your purpose is, and who Jesus is, you'll never have a moment of pride in your life. Because Jesus promotes humility. I love humility in ministry. I love it when I hear someone preach and they give God the glory. Totally. I love it when hear someone sings. And you know, I've, I've been around singers quite a bit. And I've talked to a bunch of them. And some of them, they proud. But then there's some that you meet them afterwards and they're real people. That's the kind of people I want to be around. Humility in ministry. And I want you to see 
that he said, he must increase, I must decrease. John 5, 23 says that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. If you don't put Jesus in the rightful place, God isn't in the rightful place in your life either. God the Father. You're just, you're just wrong with both of them. Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. You can't make too much of Jesus. You just can't. We, we, we need to exalt his name forever. Uh, let's look at then verses 31 through 36. Let's talk about these questions answered. Remember those questions. I want you to see in verse 31. He says, from above and above all, two, above all, two times. Look at verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. And he that is of the earth is earthly, speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. I want you to see that the first thing is that once again, Jesus is from above. He's from heaven. He's not uh, here to, uh, from the earth. He did, though he was born with a human body, he was not from earth. Look in uh, John 3.13 says, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. John 8.23 says, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I want you to see, read down with me down to verse 33, And what he hath seen and heard that he testifieth, and no man Notice this, no man received this testimony. What that means is even though Jesus already is telling them everything that he's seen and heard, all that he knows about heaven and everything that they need to know about themselves, he st they still don't accept him. Comparatively, no one uh, has, believes him. No one uh, received his testimony. Look at verse 33 though. He that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. When you and I got saved and accepted Christ as Savior, a lot of transactions took place. Well, one of them was almost, was a transaction that involves a seal. Now, I want you to understand that in a business deal, we have what we call, uh, when, a, when a, a, a signatures are signed, we have them notarized. And they press a seal on the document notarizing uh, that particular document. When we used to do international missions, we had to go to the State Department and have a, a postille, which was an, an international notary service that, so that we could take a document from the U.S. to another country and it'd be recognized by that country as being legitimate. It was a legal binding agreement and it made that whatever was on that document true and genuine. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, look at this, it's really good. He that received his testimony, have you received Christ's testimony of who he is? Have you accepted him as your Savior? If you've accepted him, there's been a seal placed on that agreement between you and God. He's made a seal, he's made an agreement with you that this is genuine and true. When you're saved, you can know it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. Let me tell you something. We have a no-so, genuine, for sure, salvation. You can know it right 
now. You don't have to wait till you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You, you won't be in front of the judgment seat of Christ if you're not saved and that seal has not happened. I'm telling you, that's a wonderful thing that you guarantee that God is full, is true. And then you see the fullness of the Spirit, verses 34. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, Jesus didn't have just a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Now you and I have the filling of the Holy Spirit, don't we? When you got saved, the Holy Spirit indwelled you. But every day we ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Every day we ask for a fresh renewal of the Holy Spirit within us. Every day we submit ourselves to the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. You understand? It was, he didn't just have a measure of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit completely was in Jesus. And I'm so glad to know that truth because uh, John 6, 63 said, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Aren't you glad that Jesus speaks words of spirit and truth? Then I want you to notice forgiveness through trust because I want you to see that there are there are some options, but also Jesus is answering these two questions that we posed in the beginning. Notice verse 36. He that believeth on, that word, those two words, believeth on, the Son hath everlasting life. I want you to know that that believeth on is an important understanding to have. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have believed on him. And if you believe on him, you have everlasting life. Right now, you have eternal life. That's a wonderful promise from God's word. I'm so glad that we can know for sure that we're saved, genuine and true, and that we have eternal life because of it. I'm telling you, that's a wonderful rejoicing thing for us. I'm so glad that God has given us that because we get forgiveness through trust. We believe on, we trust in. But notice, that's not all that Jesus speaks truth. That's not all that, that, um, uh, that talking about Jesus. Look in verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But then we all know that, that we can divide this crowd in those who believe and those who do not. And notice the last part of this. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Whew. We don't want to talk about the wrath of God these days. We don't want to talk about, we, we, want to pe we want to accept people and they want us to accept them in their sin, not out of their sin. Do you understand that we are the light and the salt? We should move into a broken and hurting world and add light to the situation and add salt to, to give savor, but also healing to that situation. And sometimes we have decided that the better way to do it is to compromise and to give in to sin. I've, I told the, the guys, uh, well, I told my Sunday school class, I think, this has been some kind of a week here at Hillcrest for me. I've had meetings, I've had phone calls, and I've had odd questions come up to me all week long. Now, please understand me, I'm glad to do that, okay? But it's been a, it's been a bit of a challenge. One of them had to do with how to handle 
the alternative lifestyles that happen in a family. Now, I'm not going to go into all the discussion of that, but you understand, these are people who are church members. You say, wait a minute, David, um, but you don't, you no, I, I just want you to understand that God has a concern for us when we talk, we talk about sin and how we, when we don't believe in Jesus, how it can take us in a direction that the wrath of God is on us. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss it because it's, it's not fun. Preaching this is not fun. There are two Greek words and express two different truths about wrath, the wrath of God in the Bible. One Greek word means wrath as a sudden, quick, more quickly, lasts a short amount of time, almost like we would call anger. God, God has a wrath that happens quickly and stands for a short amount of time. That's not the word in this passage. The other word for wrath is it's this deep, settled, thoughtful anger and wrath lasting forever if necessary. Now, I know this is not popular, but we've got to stop playing church and running to churches that are soft on this matter of sin. I told you that people, were, people move from, they'll hear one thing from one pastor, John the Baptist. They went to Jesus. That's the right thing to do. But you understand, people get tired of preaching like this, and they'll run over to a church that doesn't preach like this. But you understand, God's wrath is real. And the Bible says it because you don't believe the wrath of God abides on you. Now, I can't translate that in shoe leather, but there are four reasons why the wrath of God abides on the person. First of all, you do not believe on the Son, according to Romans 2.5. If you don't believe on Jesus, the wrath of God abides on you. Now, I'm not here to scare you with that. I just want you to know the truth. You need to know where you stand with God. And Jesus said, the word of God says right here, the wrath of God and Romans 2, 5. And secondly, if you reject God's mercy, you know, God is a merciful God. And when we reject his mercy, we're saying, no, God, I don't need what you have. I've got a better plan. I think I'm just fine. And God's wrath abides on a person that rejects God's son and God's wrath. Number two, I mean, uh, God's mercy. Number two, when we tra transgress God's law. Would you turn to Romans 1.18? Turn to Romans 1.18. I know I didn't give that to you guys, but uh, Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I want you to understand that when we transgress God's law, we are under God's wrath. Number four, when we violate God's holiness by willful sin. According to Ephesians 5, 6. That's, a, that's the fourth reason that we would be under the wrath of, God, wrath of God. Now, let me ask you something. Take an evaluation right now. How many of you say, Brother David, I do believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior? Aren't you glad? 
You know what that means? If you're sincere, you have everlasting life. But if you do not believe, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, you won't see life and you have the wrath of God that abides. I don't know how that translates in shoe leather. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I can't tell you what it's going to be, but I can tell you it's true just because God's Word says it. Can we answer the questions today? Can we do that? Number one, who can really cleanse a man? It's only Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is sent from above. He lived a sinless life. It's only through him that we can be cleansed. First of all, who can cleanse a man? Only Jesus Christ. Who should we follow? We should follow him exclusively. Follow him with our whole heart. We don't need to call Oprah. We don't need to check with Dr. Phil. We need to follow the word of God and Jesus Christ. The problem is many of us want the, uh, we want the idea of salvation and going to heaven, but we don't want the living for Jesus part and letting, following him as our master. I wonder where you stand this morning. Do you know for sure where you are with Jesus? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I'm going to ask the musicians to take their place.